Hi, this is David Douglas, Managing Director of EBO at the Digital Agency. EBO are the proud sponsors this year of Radio Molly and Molly's Digital Programme. listening to Writer Presents. This edition of Writer Presents was written and presented by Jan Carson. Across three episodes of this Writer Presents programme, Jan Carson looks at writing about and through the experience of dementia and speaks to three people with different perspectives on the subject. In this episode, Carson speaks with theatre maker and playwright Quelan Curry-Thompson. Like many people who are engaging creatively with dementia, I first took an interest in the subject because dementia directly impacted my immediate family. My nana, who was a devoted pianist, lived with Alzheimer's for almost a decade, and I was devastated to see how little provision was made for her creativity when she moved into residential care. My next guest has also had personal experience of dementia in a much-loved family member, and used this lived experience to inform her own creative response to the illness. She's going to tell us a little bit about herself and the project she's been working on. I'm Keelan Curry-Thompson. I'm a theatre maker and playwright. And the reason I'm interested in this discussion is that I've written a play Um, called Life From Time, which deals with my personal experience of a family member living with dementia. Um, I'm wondering, Caelan, how how did you first become interested in dementia and particularly the writing of dementia, like um, your world is theatre? So how did you, how did those two things come together for you? I'm sure like a lot of people who are um, exploring the world of dementia and works of fiction or uh, various forms of creation it's through personal experience really so my dad lived with dementia for over a decade I suppose I'm um as is the effect of the disease I'm not you lose all sense of time <laughs> um so I couldn't even pinpoint it um we lost him in 2021 uh, sadly but he had it would have been a good decade he'd been living with it um, his journey had been that he had a massive stroke in 2006. Um, so then uh, already words were sort of becoming the victim of the illness. So physically he recovered well, but he had an acquired brain injury from the stroke, which um, ended up uh, that he developed aphasia. So the condition where the words are all jumbled and uh and your daddy really loved words as well. So my dad, yeah, was um, just a proper appreciator of words and language and the written word in particular. Uh, he was of a certain generation. So, you know, grew up in 1950s, South Down, small village, um, did all right at school, but didn't want to get too big for his boots. So went to teacher training college and ended up a primary school teacher and then a headmaster of a local school um, and he was also like in local politics, elected councillor, mm. all of that. He was just fab. Um, 
but he always had this itch that he just, he knew what words meant and could do and the power they had. And he, I suppose he had this itch to just formally explore that and devote time to it. So in the midst of early career, married with two children, local politics, all the rest, he took himself off and did a part-time BA in English at the new UU up in Korean oh, yeah. in the new English department. So because the focus was particularly on contemporary Irish poetry, which was his passion, and Jimmy Simmons, the, the poet, was his uh, tutor. So getting back then to the aphasia and the dementia, it was just a particular cruelty and horror for him that it hit that bit of his cognition. It was the language bit. So... I remember just as it started, he couldn't read anymore, which was a real devastation. But he he really liked short form as well. He liked poetry and he liked short stories. Um, so even that, you would think maybe, maybe just, you know, investing in a few lines of poetry. But no, it just, it wasn't there anymore. And I know you took a lot of that experience of your dad and particularly his relationship with words into a beautiful play that you have written. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder if you could tell us about that. And I know I also know there was a bit of research went into the play. So where did that come from and, and what does it look like? Yeah, um, there. I suppose when you know somebody as intimately or as like from the bone as your parent, you know, a much loved parent and someone who you admire a lot. There are cer- certain things that you know about them, but know in a different way to the way other people would yeah. know them. So he might've been known as quite a, a, a literary interested in language sort of person, but I just knew his behavior at home with words that it was something more. It wasn't just liking to pick up the odd book. Like it really guided his life. And you could see that that's, these were the ways in which he understood the world through the words and through the the phrases and poems and stories and all of that that had been passed down to him. So I think that was, when, when I started to feel him slipping away from us slightly, at least that was a grounded thing that you could that you could access on your own terms and somehow kind of reach across this void of the dementia as it was pulling him further away. There was this solid um, thing, which was the written word. And I think for me working in theatre, um, because theatre is so ephemeral and so off the moment and off the bodies and gone, that books just seem otherworldly to me in a way (laughs) that every relationship with every written word is so different everybody who reads it it's so different and when you read it you know when you read it when you're 15 it will mean something and you return when you're 55 and you have a totally different relationship with the written word but the words stay on the page the same way so that was something really tangible to to kind of get a hold of and try to kind of find my way into dad that way as well And can you tell me, you know, we've had a few examples recently of dementia being explored on stage, particularly on screen and thinking of, you know, something like Florian Zeller's The Father, which went from a a beautiful stage play to a pretty good film adaptation. What are the challenges that you face when you, and maybe also some of the kind of, um, you know, we talked with Jane about artistic constraints as actually good things for artists to wrestle with. But when it comes to exploring dementia on stage, what were some of those constraints and things that you were pushing up against as an artist? Quite pointedly, actually, I didn't, I haven't read The Father, the play script or seen the film or actually explored any other sort of creative 
overtly creative interpretations or responses to dementia. And I think that's because it was so personal. And I think in my um, journey, I could kind of mask it as an attempt to know dad better and to do right by him um, rather than taking on the whole mantle of uh, dementia and like all the gnarly things that that go with that. So I think I had a, a very clear focus, which was in his world and his relationship with words, which made it a lot easier. So in that respect, yes, you are kind of editing down what you can use, which is a gift in lots of ways. Um, the other thing that I found with dad's particular experience with dementia and language is that what words had once been was now twisted. And so it seemed to me like a really powerful and sort of neat metaphor for the actual condition itself that um, he had got all of his strength and all of his identity from these words. And yet then words were what failed him in the end. So in the actual um, script itself, there are, as it kind of builds uh, dramatically, that is sort of the twist and the tension that happens, the words that gave him comfort and grounding and reassurance then in fact turn against him and are the thing of horror because it seems to me that's like that's the real um brutality of the illness as well that just everything everything that could offer security and constant uh sort of grounding that's all gone so in the play, that's what the language was kind of, that's how it functioned as well. I think the play as well also does a really good job of inviting the audience into the experience. And some of that is through language that, you know, the way you use language, not just the meaning of the words, but the way the words are conveyed on yeah. stage, you get some of that kind of empathetic experience of this is what it's like to live with a person who you love who has dementia but also a little bit of what it's like to have dementia as well yeah which is um a massive thing to try and claim or to even you know attempt to achieve and that's where kind of the the ethics of it come in because I I can um interpret my dad's understanding of language and his experience of the disease and you know, extrapolate that to, to other situations and other people, people's experience. But it can only ever be an imaginative feat mm. to do that. But then again, that is the creative process. It's only ever, yeah. you know, even if you're going to be doing an autobiographical thing, you're still, you know, editing yourself and, yeah. and creatively judging how you uh, find things to be. Um were there different ethical questions that you had to ask yourself when you were approaching, you know, the lived experience of someone you're very close to, but you, you're not inside their head? Then, mm. you know, you've written theatre in the past about yeah. different things. So previously, like I've been very interested in um, like kind of the history of women's mental health and, yeah. you know, the um, social and, and cultural um, barbaric attitudes and punishments for women who are unconventional or uh, sexual or, you know, in any way seem to be other or mm. belligerent. Um, and I think it's much the same then. You can apply the same sort of tests with dementia. Um, I was lucky that I was borrowing or learning from dad's experience and knowing his personality, he would have just loved it. So I was able to say to him, dad, I'm writing, is this okay? And he was just, you know... Um, Oh, he was delighted. He was, you know, cock of the north with that. So that was fine. And then I approached mom just to make sure it was yeah. okay with her as his carer. 
Um, but I think that sort of security that he would be okay with it um, was helpful. Uh, I did have to sort of alert mum to certain things. Like my dad ended up doubly incontinent um, and really through other, like in his appearance, he dropped food in himself and not care. My mum found that very difficult yeah. because of the particular closeness of the spousal relationship yeah. and she knew him as the public man and the headmaster and how he wanted to present himself and be perceived um I wasn't bothered by that and I think interestingly like, with these cycles of time that we come to dementia um it's clearly significant that at this stage as he was going on that journey into dementia I was in the midst of being a mom of three small children so for me the body was just the machine that got you through the day. But I was very clear minded that it had that all of those um, stigma and the the messier sides of it had to just be shown yeah, and shown for what they real. are. Yeah. And it's just the function of a body. It does not matter in the least. You, you know, you can pile all the dignity and all the rest. That's a different conversation. But the fact that my father no longer had control over his bodily functions means you know, yeah. that doesn't impact his his value as a human being or his um, the legitimacy of the space that he took up. Yeah. So I think showing that and confronting and we did send out a, um, a test bit to community groups through the theatre company that I was working with, Prime Cut Productions in Belfast. And we, I was very clear that this was for people um not for people themselves experiencing dementia, but carers and those yeah. working with and, and loved ones of it. That's a really interesting kind of differentiation to make because in, in the last um, chat I had talking to Jane LaHaya, we were talking about involving people who have dementia or living with dementia in response to texts about dementia. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it feels like this is quite a different piece of artwork. Yeah. Did, was that a decision creatively you made early on? And did yes. it give you freedom then to go to different places I think to give the freedom to also um have a kind of artistic agenda that I was committed to and happy to explore I wasn't claiming to be making sense of dementia I wasn't claiming anything more than presenting a version of the experience that that um a person could have um I'm quite like in my work I'm um very keen on it being um an uncomfortable or challenging experience really it's like a barrage Mm -hmm. on the senses um and on the mind and that for me is where the power lies um so that is firmly what I wanted to happen with it with a softness of the language and a softness of the relationship of course but through that then you can just really show the the full weight of what it is You know, we talked with Jane about this idea of being a, an artist first and foremost. We're not here to raise awareness of dementia mm-hmm. or to, you know, to fix it in any way. Mm-hmm. Um, I just finished a short story, which is a kind of horror about yeah. dementia. Yeah. And I'm sure people with some people would raise ethical questions mm-hmm. about that. But for me as an artist, I don't think there are areas that are unavailable to me. Absolutely. Yep. yep. Um, so I, I'm fascinated by that, like. Do artists approach this topic slightly different from maybe an academic would? I, yeah, I'm sure they do. I think it's because the artistic and creative world um, has doesn't just have um, rational thought and argument and discourse. 
it's got the full toolkit of emotional, psychological, <laughs> spiritual manipulation as well. And that's the other truth that can be explored and the other means by which um, a topic can be tackled. And it's really, like, I find it very, very important, um, particularly coming from the theatre, um, to constantly um, remind myself of the value in what the, the theatre is and what the arts offer um, because our culture, um, particularly culture on this island, I would argue, um, as well as in this sort of time, um, is so skewed towards what is permanent and patriarchal and quantifiable. And the, for instance, in the theatre, the ephemeral, the embodied, the kind of that transactional um, sitting together and being moved by something communally as well, mm -hmm. interestingly, that is devalued because you can't hold on to it, you can't grasp it yeah, yeah. in the same way. You can write down your intellectual and academic thesis and that's great and that will stay forever in the library and can be referred to back and back and forth of course um but the moment in the theater that is um shared collectively between audience members and those who make the work that can't be captured yeah. and i think that's why it's it's its particular strength but it's also it's kind of weakness in terms of how it's valued and seen because you can't just hold up um, the evidence of it you have to feel the evidence and experience yeah. it yourself I'm just so aware listening to you of how much that feels like a metaphor for dementia to me as well <laughs> and all my like experience yeah. of working with folks who have dementia that you know you can't put the good moments on a, a funding application or an evaluation form and neither can you fully quantify the really difficult moments it's often just a wee shared glance or somebody smiling that has been really like deep in themselves for a long time and they're making a connection yeah and I think it's a really feminist response as well it definitely is and again that's why it's kind of um undervalued I would argue and I can I say this with a certain amount of conviction not just as someone who works creatively in theatre but also someone whose day job is in arts admin because yeah. I also um I'm the drama and dance officer with the Arts Council of Northern Ireland so my day job is interpreting people's applications um, and constantly having to wrestle with this sense that it's the best mechanism there is at the minute yeah. for what we're doing, but it's also not nearly enough. No. I wonder just if you could talk a little bit about the importance of dementia narratives being explored in places like the theatre. Um, we've talked a bit about how they're explored in books today on, on screen. Why is it important that that narrative isn't forgotten about and, and hidden kind of? I think it's the same reason as any um human lived experiences it's because it's it's what people go through it's it's in the world and it's shaping people's um emotional lives and their experience um not just the person who's themselves affected by the dementia but the the ripples out then to their um families i mean my mom was dad's primary carer was deeply deeply impacted in her own mm -hmm. sense of self and her identity um and to just constantly challenge the kind of perception of what people go through you know I'm also very interested in you know your full range of uh neurodivergence and difference because um of my own family and having um neurodivergent children and coming you know 
the five of us together, uh, my partner and the three kids and me make up a lovely jumble of mm. neurodifference. Um, and I know before there would have been kind of shame and embarrassment and awkwardness um, about being a little bit different or a little bit other yeah. or not fitting in in quite the right way. But I think especially through dad's experience with dementia, you just see the joy of exploding all those kind of social norms and the idea, like dad became so indiscreet. It was beautiful because he had been so kind of well behaved and just give you an insight into his inner life yeah. his inner landscape but because the cycles of times just started overlapping with with him yeah. and I was moving forward you know in my life and he was facing forward moving backwards through his memories we kind of overlapped and I got to as a young woman with my own responsibilities got to meet a version of my dad as a teenager yeah. which is magical like and I I remember having those experiences and thinking I have to hold on to this and honour this somehow because we know how horrible this journey is going to be. We know the end point. We know it's going to be grim. So for those small moments where there's going to be remarkable joy and insight and beauty and love, like that you have to kind of grab with both hands. I've recently read a lot of Cathy Rensenbrink's work on how you write about difficult personal experiences, complex personal experiences, without traumatizing yourself again mm-hmm. and I wonder if you there's any you have any thoughts on that like when you go somewhere with your art that takes you back to a time and a place it was yeah challenging I think I was lucky in that I was doing it while we still had dad with us and it was a kind of it was a useful way to navigate the entire journey so still having him but knowing we were on borrowed time and knowing that for this entire borrowed time, it would be a different version of him as well. And that would always be changing and, and moving unpredictably around. Um, so I think I was very mindful of that and mindful that it was a big risk, especially, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm extremely lucky. I didn't have very complicated feelings about my dad. I just loved him and admired him and liked him which is a remarkable thing to be able to say about a parent um and then respected him all the more for everything that he had to go through and he was so gracious and easy in it all um and I think what made his journey that much easier for him is that he trusted me and my mom so much in his care so I think I was very lucky in my experience and had to remind myself of that all the time, but also just keep on checking in to realise this is, it's big what, what you're doing. It is really, really, really mm-hmm. big. And reading back over the script now, it definitely is from that time when we were inside the dementia journey. And I wonder if I explore it again now that we are no longer with Dad. There will be some people listening to this, myself included, who are hoping to use some personal experiences that we've had to write about either dementia or other you know complicated personal experiences we've had is there advice that you would give to somebody who's going to go to that place of using their own lived experience to create art from so I would say just be good to yourself I mean it's extremely vague I know um but I also say having worked in theatre now since 2001 working professionally in lots of different contexts. Um, the damage that is done to people's 
well-being to just routinely people trying to navigate their uh, artistic careers it's brutal it it shouldn't be that but it is I can speak more about theatre because that's my my primary experience but I think anything that we can do to just help people take care of themselves and be compassionate and kind to yourself first and foremost and um be okay with looking at why you were doing the thing you were doing and accepting that that is valid and good and taking it from there. I know that's very vague, but I think no. it's also the most important thing that any of us yeah. can do, actually. I think that why question is a big question. Like, why do you want to write about yes. this thing? Yes, yes, um, yes. Because often when you write about complicated experiences you've had in the past, it, it doesn't heal it isn't cathartic it no. raises more questions than answers yeah but also being okay with why you're doing yeah. it you're not doing it to change the world radically or solve the problem as you were saying solve everything that there is to do with dementia no you are doing it for your own particular set of reasons and that is good yeah. that is good enough so believe in that I think that's a lovely place to end. <laughs> uh, what a great conversation. Thank oh, you so much for you, coming Jan. in today, Caelan. Not at all. Lovely to see you. You've been listening to Writer Presents. This edition of Writer Presents was written and presented by Jan Carson and featured a conversation with Caelan Curry-Thompson. Tune in to episode three, where Carson speaks with the poet Sarah Hesketh. Writer Presents is produced with the support of the Arts Council and Corla Allian. For more from Radio Molly, visit radio.molly.ie.